Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Hope you enjoyed your long Memorial Day weekend. Before we get into anything uh, sports-related, more importantly, hope you got to spend some time with friends and family. Extra day off yesterday for Memorial Day, remembering those uh, who have in the past given their lives for our country. In the sports world, it wasn't exactly a great weekend for Wisconsin sports, and, and we'll talk about all of it as the show rolls on. Of course, the Bucks losing in Game 6. The passing of Bart Starr, the horrific accident, uh, uh, and a couple of family deaths for Howard Moore, one of the Badger assistant coaches uh, on the basketball team. Lots of uh, lots of negativity this weekend, and I I've come into the studio before thinking, okay, this is going to be a negative show. This is going to be an angry show. Like I'm going to get riled up. I'm going to go on a rant. Callers are going to be upset today. Oddly enough, is is not one of those days. There's a lot of stuff to be upset about today and from this weekend. A lot to be sad, a lot to be a lot to be frustrated about. I'm actually in a great mood. Maybe it was because of the extra day off yesterday or, or maybe it was because we got to watch the Brewers beat the Twins last night. I don't know what it I don't know what it is, but with all the negativity, with all the letdown uh, that the last couple days have brought, I'm in a great mood, and I'm not here to yell about anything. I hope you are in a great mood as well. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Let's start with the Bucks. They lost game 6. On Saturday night, and maybe it's because we are now a couple days removed. I've had a couple of sleeps, uh, right? I've had a couple of good meals and, and time to think, time to ponder, right? Time to to reflect. Now, the Bucks did lose 100-94 to after really being in command for most of the game. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the Bucks were down 3-2. So a win in Toronto on Saturday night did by no means guarantee a trip to the NBA Finals. But if the Bucks are able to win that game, all of a sudden they're re-energized. The fans are re-energized, and they're going back to Milwaukee, which would have been last night, for Game 7, and now all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good. One game takes all. You got the MVP. You got the brand new arena. You hopefully get the crowd that had been there all season long. Like, you're feeling pretty good. Unfortunately, that's not how it went down. And the Bucks were in command for most of the game. They led by double digits multiple times. And then late in that third quarter, early into the fourth, they allow Toronto to go uh, on what amounted to, I believe, about a 26-2, 26-3 run. Ugh. Just backbreaking. Just deflating. Just killing. And, and look, none of the Bucks had a blow-away night. They only scored 94 points. Giannis was fine. He had 21. And Middleton was 14. It was the lack of shots, especially down the stretch, that turned me off from Middleton. He, he looked like he didn't... Want anything to do with with shooting the ball on offense. Bledsoe was quiet again, eight points. Brogdon was fine with ten. Like nobody had that jump out performance. And, and and we could talk about why they lost. We could talk about how they lost. And and we'll talk about some of the details, more big picture details coming up next. I'm not going to dwell and be miserable on Game Six. We'll look at the series as a whole. We could get into that. But if you watch any of the highlight videos, you you watch any of the breakdowns or, or the analysis videos, the recap videos. You'll understand, right? Basically, the Raptors got better shots, and they made more of them. And I know that's typically how every team wins a basketball game, but that's essentially what it came down to. We don't need to get into it too much. I only tweeted once on Saturday night. 
And if you follow me on Twitter at Keystroker Grant, you know that I sometimes get steamed up. I like to yell. I like to complain. I typically do not swear, although every once in a while I get pushed over the edge. That is very rare, right? And normally I'm I'm always on Twitter. That's where I'm putting my frustration. On Saturday night, I only I only tweeted once. And I actually think that this one tweet did a better job summing up this Bucks game. Uh, than in previous instances where I've tried to tweet 15 times and sum up how I feel. This is this is it right here. Ready? Glad, and this is sarcastic, obviously. Glad this series can be for my Bucks fandom what 2014 was to my Packer fandom. What do I mean by that? Well, think back to 2014, and, and, and you can call this innocence. You can call this privilege. You can call this entitlement. I don't think it's any of those things. Up until 2014, I'd like to think that my Packer fandom was pretty normal. I would get up, I would jump, I would yell, I would scream, I would get into it with my family, with my friends, and every game felt like it meant the world. And that included the Super Bowl run, and the 15-1 and year in 2011, and then, the, and then the, the first Aaron Rodgers injury. And then we get to 2014. When the schedule lined up, when the seating lined up, when for the most part the Packers stayed pretty healthy, and, and you thought, alright, here we go. Things are lining up for the Packers to make another run. And then they puke it up in the NFC Championship game. And I'm left sitting there with my family, not really being able to comprehend what happened. Ever since that moment, no Packer win has felt as good. No Packers loss has hurt as much. I've just been numb. Not totally numb, but my fandom was lowered a notch after 2014. And I've talked, to, I've talked to a lot of my friends. I, I think a lot of people feel the same way. I don't know if Saturday night's game or this series as a whole, this Eastern Conference final series as a whole, will do that to my Bucks fandom. But on Saturday night, it certainly felt like that. And, and as Wisconsin sports fans in the last five or six years, we've had no shortage of that. Yes, we got to celebrate the Packers Super Bowl. And that's a day, that, that's a memory with my family, with my parents that I will cherish forever. And, and nothing will ever take away from that. Nor should it. We talk about the Packers in 2014. We talk about Badgers basketball in 2015 being up by eight with less than five minutes to go with probably the two best players and best supporting cast this Badgers basketball team will see in a long time, if in my lifetime as a whole, and you lose that game. Badgers football, I don't know if there's one moment specifically. It's just been death by a thousand cuts over the last six years. All the Rose Bowl losses, all the losses in the Big Ten Championship and to Ohio State and to Michigan where you were right there. And it's just it's to the point where this last season I was like, man, maybe I got something better to do today because I really can't sit down and watch the Badgers play Purdue and have it take four hours on, on a snowy, sleety, awful Saturday afternoon. Brewers, I don't know. I don't know if I've had that moment with the Brewers. I, I think we're too early to tell. Certainly losing Game 7 at home in the NLCS at Miller Park, that, that that can't help one's fandom, right? But I don't know if that series has necessarily hurt my Brewers fandom. We'll see how this season goes, and, and we'll, we'll see where this team goes in the future, but certainly the Packers in 2014 and Badgers basketball in 2015, Badgers football for the last, heck, for the last 10 years, throw it all in the basket that now includes... The Bucks losing in six games to the Raptors after going up 2-0, after being inches from victory in Game 3 and going up 3-0 to and, and, and basically ending the series. And then being up multi, double digits multiple times in Game 6, ready to go back home for Game 7. And, and, and regardless of the struggles you had in Toronto, that's done, that's passed. Go win it at home, go to the NBA Finals, where the Warriors don't have Kevin Durant, and they certainly don't have Kawhi Leonard to guard Giannis, and we'll see what happens, but no. That didn't happen. So throw them all in the pile. Of, of Wisconsin sports letdowns 
in the last five or six years. There are many. That's all I tweeted, and I think it sums up pretty well. That Bucks loss could very well be to my Bucks fandom what the 2014 NFC Championship game was to my Packer fandom, meaning no game is ever going to feel the same. No loss will be as great. No loss will be as hurtful. You just add a, a little bit of numbness to my Bucks fandom. Just like you did to the Packers and Badgers basketball. If you've listened to the show, you know my, my Badgers basketball fandom is always wearing thin. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. You can follow me. If you want more of that great content, that uplifting content, you can follow me on Twitter at Keystroker Grant. You can follow us all on Twitter. Of course, Dave, Scrady, everyone involved at WKTY on Twitter. Follow them both. Keep up to date with the station. Keep up to date with the show. I do want to talk a little bit more about the Bucks. I don't want to get into the X's and O's of Game 6 because ultimately, let's be real, in, in five years from now, we'll remember the Bucks losing in six games. I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember much of this game. It, it, was, it was nerves, it was butterflies, and at the end it was heartbreak. I, I don't know if the X's and O's on why the Bucks lost on Saturday night really matter, especially now because the series is over. I do want to talk about some tough realizations that after this series, we have to... Come to terms with a couple realizations and a couple details of the series that I would have never imagined going in took place. So I want to talk about that. And I also want to just barely, barely, barely touch on the upcoming Bucks offseason. I don't want to turn this into a referendum on how much Chris Middleton should get paid, Brooke Lopez, blah, 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 down the line. I don't want to get into that. There will be plenty of time as as free agency nears uh, in June and in July. But I have some thoughts. Now that the Bucks season is done, the regular season, the postseason is done, just some thoughts to send us into the offseason. And then we'll get on to some Brewers talk because they're enjoying a fun two-game set with the Twins right now. Twin series are always fun. We'll get into all that. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out, and thanks to Played Against Sports for making the show possible. I I know we have a lot to be frustrated with, a a lot to be sad over, but I'm in a great mood today. I know the Bucks lost. I know Bart Starr has sadly passed away, and there was just a horrific car accident uh, with one of the Wisconsin Badgers basketball coaching staff, and and the Badgers struck out on the Hauser boys today. Uh, They went to to different schools, uh, one to Virginia, and one to Michigan State. Like, like, there's a lot to be frustrated about today. I'm, I'm actually not in a bad mood, which is, uh, I'm, I'm surprised because it's not hard for sports to put me in a bad mood. Six zero eight seven nine six two five five eight is the five star telecom talking text line. Good or bad mood, you can call me there, text me there, uh, and talk bucks. This morning, I, I had to wake up and I had to start thinking about because we didn't have a show yesterday, right? Yesterday was Memorial Day, so I really didn't have to be. Focusing on, on what to talk about. Yesterday, I was thinking about the Bucks. I was thinking about the series, but I, I knew we didn't have a show, so I, I really didn't have to think about putting it uh, into a discussion or into a conversation, right? Think about talking points. I was just, I was just kind of floating, right? I was just pondering. Today, I had to, to tr- try to boil it down into something to talk about. Now, these are what I'm going to call difficult to swallow pills, okay? These are pills we all need to swallow. These are things we need to understand, but are not going to make you happy to hear, okay? But very true, right? Difficult to swallow pills. Right? I, I think that describes it well. Number one from this series is, is and, and you probably know this, Kawhi Leonard is just that much better than Giannis. And, and it doesn't necessarily come down to points per game or, or rebounds per game, although Kawhi was much better. In the Eastern Conference Finals, Kawhi averaged 29, almost 30 points per game. Giannis 
only 23, 22.7 actually. And, and I know rebounds, he was good and, and assists. Giannis is certainly the better passer, the more natural passer than Kawhi Leonard. But statistics aside, at the end of games, Kawhi Leonard was able to isolate and, and make plays. You hear all the time, when you need somebody to go get you a bucket, who can go get you a bucket? Kawhi Leonard was that guy in this series. Giannis, not really. He had his moments, he has his exciting plays, and he certainly put his handprint on the game because Toronto is going to structure their defense, going to strategize their defense in the way that they play all around Giannis. So that in and of itself, regardless of how many points, rebounds, assists, whatever, Giannis is putting his handprint on the game. Kawhi, at the end, you you saw his impact. And if this was the first NBA game that you watched, this was the first NBA playoff series you have ever watched, it would have jumped off the screen to you, right? Because the two teams looked completely different at the end of the game. Toronto put all their players in the corners, spread them all out, and let Kawhi Leonard go one-on-one at the top. Milwaukee really didn't do that. Not because Giannis isn't cut and dry their best player, and their star, and 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 the uh, the character that no doubt they want taking the final shot. You know, cliche take the take the shot. Kawhi Leonard was just able to go get a bucket, and when he wasn't, he was able to get to the free throw line and actually hit his free throws. Giannis is not as bad of a free throw shooter as I think public perception would indicate right now. He had a bad series from the free throw line. He's actually about a seventy-five. Not not. Quite to 80%, but he was a pretty good free throw shooter this year. I know you can always improve, right? Malcolm Brogdon is the standard, hitting 92-91% of, of his free throws. I agree. Giannis is not as bad throughout the regular season and against the Pistons and against the Celtics. I don't know what happened in this series. He had a bad series at the free throw line. Kawhi was, Kawhi was larger than life. Giannis looked like a basketball player. Kawhi Leonard looked like something different. And, and what makes this loss hurt all the more is is that if I, I think if the Bucks get to the finals, and they are able to play Golden State with home court advantage, I think Giannis has a better series. I think Giannis has an easier matchup against the Warriors because on the Warriors, I I don't necessarily know, especially without Kevin Durant, if there's a player who can D him up. Now, some might do a pretty good job. Draymond Green might do a a decent job, and if Kevin Durant's able to return, he might do a decent job as well, but Andre Iguodala's getting up there. I don't know if he can necessarily go all out to guard Giannis. Certainly nobody of the caliber that Kawhi Leonard is. So contrary to what people might believe, I, I think if the Bucks are able to get past the Raptors, Giannis gets bigger. Giannis gets better. He scores more. His impact on the biggest stage possible is greater because there is no Kawhi Leonard to guard him. And Kawhi Leonard, after Game 3, the, the, the Raptors made a conscious effort to get Kawhi Leonard onto Giannis. And he was tremendous. As tremendous as you can expect someone to be when guarding an essential point guard who is seven feet long and with incredibly long, you know, Mr. Elastic arms. Number one, difficult to swallow pill. Kawhi was better than Giannis. Now, you don't like to swallow that. It doesn't taste great, but I I think you can all buy into that. Number two, Nick Nurse was better than Mike Budenholzer. He was better than Coach Budenholzer. Nick Nurse outcoached Coach Bud. Now, we really didn't have a large sample size to work with for Nick Nurse. This was his first series season, obviously, as a head coach. We didn't have a lot of precedent. We don't have a lot of history. Now, remember, the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey, who was the coach of the year, and they just elevated Nick Nurse. They didn't really do a huge search. Now, Coach Budenholzer, they, they didn't even bring him in for an interview. They went with Nick Nurse. The things that Coach Nick Nurse was able to do against Milwaukee, especially after Game 2, 
Because in game three, and, and, and look, don't get me wrong. If the Raptors lose game three, which is a free throw, a, a, a bounce of a ball, a whistle away, well, then we're having a completely different conversation. The truth of the matter is the Raptors did win game three, and we are sitting here about the Bucks losing in six. After that game three, Nick Nurse made it a focal point to put Kawhi Leonard on Giannis, to run that zone that we saw, which was a 1-2-2, which is something you don't see a whole lot of, and it wasn't spearheaded by a point guard. It was spearheaded most of the time by Pascal Siakam, who gives you length, who gives you reach at the top of that zone, and made no inch of that basketball court in the half court for the Bucks easy. Nothing was simple. There was no space in the paint, at the top of the key for, for Bledsoe or whoever the point guard was to, to work with. There was no space. Nothing was easy. And Coach Bud didn't have an answer for that, and that's what we saw transpire uh, in the final couple of games after Game 3 when that switch was made. Nick Nurse, better than Coach Budenholzer, plain and simple. This is the most difficult to swallow pill and the hardest to believe for me. The Raptors' bench down the stretch was better than the Bucks' bench. And at the beginning of this series, I would have thought that there's no better bench in the NBA. And I, and I would tend to agree. I would still rather have the Bucks' bench. The Raptors' bench just played that much better. Outside of Game 3, when Malcolm Brogdon gave you 20 and George Hill gave you 24 and, and you got this explosion of points off your bench. Outside of that game, the Bucks' bench was pretty poor. Just for a one-player comparison. Two similar players. Fred Van Vliet versus Nikola Mirotic. Both are essentially three-point specialists. They don't really do a whole lot. They can maybe make a pass. They can maybe make a drive, a runner. But, but they're out there to shoot threes. Fred Van Vliet was 16 of 28. That's 57%. And it was basically, he didn't miss after the first couple of games. Nikola Mirotic shot 6 of 31, 19%. And was played right off the floor in, in game six, which was an elimination game. Raptors' depth was better. That's just one instance. right? Serge Ibaka started to come on. Marcus All started to come on. While George Hill, as good as he had been, kind of faded. And Malcolm Brogdon, as good as he was, faded a little bit. And Ursan had, had one good game, and that was really it. Nobody really shot the ball all that well. Now, don't get me wrong. When we're talking about the bench, when we're talking about the coach, players make coaches look good. And shots make players look good. So maybe if Nikola Mirotic has the series that Fred Van Vliet has... We're having a different conversation. We're praising Coach Budenholzer. We're not praising Nick Nurse. And we're talking about how the Bucks are probably moving on to the NBA Finals. We're not having that conversation. That's the difference. Fred Van Vliet, Nikola Mirotic. That's the difference. 57%, 90%. The big difference. One player comparison, similar players. Down the stretch, maybe not to start the series, but certainly down the stretch, the Raptors bench was better than the Bucks. I would have laughed at that two weeks ago if you'd have told me that. Difficult to swallow pills. Kawhi being better than Giannis. Nick Nurse being better than Coach Budenholzer and the Raptors bench outplaying the Bucks bench. That's really what it comes down to. You can talk X's nose, talk about strategy and, and formation and, and scheming. That's really what it comes down to. So, so now as we move into the offseason, and, and, and we won't be talking about the Bucks as much. I feel like we've talked nothing but Bucks the last couple of weeks. As we near the draft and, and we near free agency... The question quickly becomes, who do you bring back? This isn't something we've wasted a whole lot of time on because we've been able to talk about the actual games, the playoff games, right? Chris Middleton, going to opt out, become a free agent. Malcolm Brogdon, going to be a restricted free agent. Miritich, going to become a free agent. Lopez, free agent. Who do you bring back? 
Giannis talked about it in his exit interview. He's very clear on, on how he wants the Bucks to handle this, who he wants them to bring back, how they want to approach this offseason. This is Giannis talking about uh, the upcoming summer. Obviously, I want this, you know, the same. I want everybody back. You know, uh, great freaking uh, team, uh, unselfish players. Uh, they play basketball the right way. Uh, the winners, and uh, we had a great atmosphere. We didn't have no... Um, I can't be polite. I want to say the the A word. We didn't have no uh, no butt heads. Butt heads. <laughs> what? Butt heads. Butt heads. <laughs> butt heads. Yes. No, no butt heads on the team. A little humor in there. But Giannis mostly talking about. I want everyone back. Let's run it back. Love my teammates. Side with my teammates. Let's go. Let's do this again. Now I don't know if that will be possible to keep Brogdon and Middleton and Lopez. That's for some very smart accountants and analytics people who are very, very familiar with the CBA, like John Horst and his staff, to figure out. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying, the ownership group of the Milwaukee Bucks are are, are worth millions and, and billions of dollars. They have their foot in many camps, and they purchased this team years ago, and it will no doubt be worth more when they decide to sell it in however long, however many years. It will be worth more then than when they bought it. If there's a time, if there was ever a time to spend money and to go into the salary cap, it is now. It is now. I was watching uh, Fox Sports 1 this morning, and and Nick Wright was talking about this in in regards to how the Bucs should handle this offseason, how they should handle their cap, how they should handle their money. And he said, look, the same reason you buy a sports team, uh, the reasons are the same to buy a sports team as to buy a Picasso painting. Because it's dope. Because it's awesome, and not a lot of people get to own one. It's not to, to, to save money, right? It's because you can. And because you know that in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, when you sell it again, it will be worth more. Because that's just how the world works. I'm looking at the NBA payrolls by team, okay? Who's spending the most money? Because I thought, well, well, what about Golden State? What about Toronto? Right? What about Boston? Are, are, are the... the, the, the the blue chip teams, the championship contending teams, are they at the bottom? Do they spend the least? Do they spend the most? Where are they? Well, it's it's actually kind of all over the board. Number one is the Miami Heat, and well, they're not going anywhere in the near future, but two, three, four, Golden State, Oklahoma City, Toronto. Five is Portland. Those are the tippy top teams right there, followed by the Milwaukee Bucks at six. So looking at that statistic alone, if you're Milwaukee, look no further than Golden State. They're spending the second most in the entire league, and they're winning. So ask Golden State if it's worth it to spend all that money. Ask Toronto if it's worth it to spend all that money. They're going to the NBA Finals. Okay? If you look right behind the Bucks, who are sixth in the league, you'll have Detroit, you'll have Memphis, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Look, those teams are, are, are messes right now. They're in the basement, and they're spending slightly less than you. Should you spend the money? Should you go into the salary cap? That's not even a question for me. And, and by the way, for those of you who are making the argument, that we don't want to run this Bucks team back. They weren't good enough. They weren't good enough to get to the finals. They need to make changes. Everything I've heard, national media, all the, all the articles that I've read, the, the, Bill Michaels himself on this station and Dan Patrick and David Scrady in the morning saying these were needed growing pains. This was adversity that the, this Bucks team needed to face. Well, those growing pains, that lesson in that adversity that they just went through will go to waste if they're not on the team next year. What if you go and get a bunch of other guys who have no playoff experience, who don't have experience in a tough six-game series in the Eastern Conference Finals, playing in Toronto, going against Kawhi Leonard. Well, if you ship all these guys out and bring in new ones, 
don't you have to go through all those same growing pains again? Don't you have to face that adversity again? To me, it makes a lot of sense to to bring just about everybody back. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care about the salary. I don't care about the luxury tax. I'm not, as a fan, interested in saving ownership money. And as a fan, I'm not going to tell you how to be a fan, but I don't know why you would be either. They're worth billions of dollars. They can spend an extra 15, 20 million for a couple of years in the salary cap and in the luxury tax to try to get this Bucks team to the finals and eventually to win a championship. That's all I'm saying. Not telling you how to be a fan, but don't be so concerned about your owner's money. All right. Let's talk Brewers. It's time to enjoy the Brewers. Bucks are done. Let's talk about the Brewers. They won yesterday. They beat the Twins. And I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed Sunday's game as well. In a way that I haven't in a while. I'll explain coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Here's the 1-0. And Arcia drive in the left field. This one is way back and gone. And the Brew Crew has taken the lead at Target Field. That was the hit that made the difference yesterday. Brewers beat the Twins 5-4. to four. And I want to talk about the Brewers. We've talked so much about the Bucks. I don't need to dwell on the negative today. I'm in a great mood. I don't want to ruin it. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Thanks for tuning in. I- I'm enjoying Brewers Twins. I'm enjoying the Brewers right now. The Bucks lost on Saturday night. And I woke up on Sunday, and the first thing I thought of was obviously, man, the Bucks lost, of course, because I, I do that to myself. And then I'm, okay, what time did the Brewers play today? Okay, it's a daytime game, not doing anything. I'm going to kick back on the couch, let the sun shine through the window, and watch some Brewers baseball. That's my favorite time to watch the Brewers, afternoon games. Night games, I, I don't like watching night games. I'd rather watch them during the day. I think it's great when they play on a Tuesday afternoon, and I can listen on the radio, or I can uh, or, or pay attention while I'm at work. Or, or if I'm not doing anything, kick back on the couch and enjoy. I love afternoon baseball. I loved Sunday. I loved last night, the Brewers, like I said, beating the Red Hot Twins 5-4. to four. And maybe it's because I am no longer focused on the Bucks. And I guess it's... Similar during Packers season as well, right? When the Packers move in, the Brewers kind of take a side seat. And this spring, when the Bucks are making their playoff run, and then the Brewers are just starting up, the Brewers kind of take that that side seat. If we're in a motorcycle, they're sitting in the sidecar, right? Well, now that the the Bucks are out of the picture, at least actually playing in the games, we're still going to talk about the Bucks. They have a lot of free agency decisions to make. Of course, the draft is coming up, of which they will have just about the last the last pick in the first round. I feel like I can open my arms and open my heart and wholesomely enjoy the Brewers now. And I think Brewers Twin Series are a lot of fun. I don't know if they're super meaningful. I don't know why they're only two games long. But it's kind of like worlds colliding, right? I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of coworkers who are Twins fans. And if you're a Twins fan listening, first of all, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Wisco Sports Show. And I bet you have a lot of friends that are Brewers fans. And because they do not share a division, because they don't even share a league, we really don't have to be rivals. We really don't have to clash horns a whole lot. I think it's a blast when they play because it's like worlds colliding, right? Every day. When I step over to Z93 to do my work over there, right after this show, I talked to Jesse, our afternoons guy over there, and he said, man, twins this, twins that. And I'm like, all right, I'm listening. I tell him about the Brewers, and but we never get to experience that. It's like worlds colliding, right? Okay, this is uh, the great picture twins fans are always talking about. Or, oh, yeah, Christian Yelich is that great. Here we we get to see them on the same field. I think it's a lot of fun, and I think the rivalry is is just that. It's fun. I don't think it's ever over the top. I didn't realize the twins were actually 
playing that well. I, I mean, their division is not great. So if the Twins are playing great, they're going to make the playoffs. I realized yesterday, they and tell me if I got this wrong. I'll have to double check myself. They were 20 games over 500 going into yesterday. Yeah, they're 36 and 17. So yesterday they would have been 36 and 16, 20 games over 500. Brewers, for reference, are seven games over 500. The Twins now only 19 games over only 19 games over 500, right? And the game last night was, I, I think, how many might have expected it to go. Twins get off to a hot start. They get out to that four nothing lead, and the Brewers are forced to play catch up. And against all odds, the Brewers are able to come back and win. The Twins bullpen has been great. Their offense has been great, although they only scored four runs the whole game in the second inning. But a lot of times, you'll you'll see the winner of baseball games will score more runs. They'll have that big inning, right? They'll have more runs in one inning than the rest of the team will across the board. You see that a lot. That's why. Managers, that's why baseball teams play for that one big inning. Well, last night it took the Brewers all the way into the eighth inning to take the lead when Orlando Arcia knocked in Hernan Perez with that two-run, two-out home run in the eighth inning. Okay. Craig Council was asked about it after the game last night, and something jumped out to me that I loved. I'm going to play you his full answer, which is only 20 seconds long. It's not like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force you to, to listen to a minute-long answer here because Craig Council, he oohs and ahs and... He can be kind of tough to listen to. Let's be real. But this 20-second answer really jumped out to me. This astute reporter, I wish I knew who it was, told Council, you know, until tonight, you were 1-21 and when trailing after seven innings. All right. What do you think about that? That you were able to come back in the eighth, that you were able to get this win tonight? And Craig Council's answer, I thought, was was really honest. And I think it maybe tells us something about how we should approach baseball. Check this out. You know, if you if you can get five wins over the course of the year in those situations, you're usually doing pretty good. Um, it's good to get one of them here. You know, let's, let's see, their bullpen's been pitching really well. Um, Rogers has been really, really solid for them. So um, you feel like we kind of you steal one when you when you take out, take one off a bullpen that's been really good. So the reporter asks Craig Council, "You are one and twenty-one going into night when trailing after seven innings. What do you think about that? You're able to get that win tonight." And Craig Council says, "Man, that record's not supposed to be great. Like if teams and pitchers, relievers, closers just do their job." Man, if you can get five wins all year in 162 games where you were trailing after the seventh inning, thumbs up. That's pretty good. If you can get five of those, because they're tough to come by, right? No team is bragging, oh man, we win so many games, even though we're trailing after seven innings, right? That's just, that's just not a, that's not a recipe to win baseball games. Talks about how we were able to steal a game today. That's the way it felt. And I loved that phrase. That made me think about it a little more. Craig Council saying, "Kind of felt like we stole one." I feel like we kind of you steal one when you when you take out, take one off a bullpen that's been really good. So not only are you trailing after the seventh inning, which your odds are, are low anyways, but you're doing it against a team with a great bullpen in the Twins. You're able to steal that one, especially on the road at Target Field, right? I think that's a great way to look at baseball. You're just trying to steal a game. There's 162 games. We can't overanalyze. We can't get too high. We cannot get too low. Because as Craig Council said, I mean, if you're lucky to get five wins like that the entire season, you're you're in a good spot. You're doing your job. I remember on, on the Bill Michaels show, I know they were doing it last year, and, and, I, and I'm going to have to talk to Radio Joe. Uh, you hear Bill and Joe on WK2 every day, 11 to 2. Last year, he was doing this thing called Jober Metrics, where he was keeping track of games where the, the, that the Brewers won that they shouldn't have. 
Like, for example, I don't remember what his constraints were, but basically, like, when the Brewers are trailing by this many runs after the seventh inning and they win, that's a game they should not have won, but they did. And and in this instance, I'm saying they stole that game, right? And then there's also games where the Brewers are trailing by a run or two, whatever, whatever you want, after the seventh inning or the eighth inning, and then they lost. That's a game they should have won. That's a game they got stolen from them, right? The Brewers are going to be in plenty of instances throughout 162 games throughout an entire summer where they're trailing after the seventh inning, right? Where they're tied in the eighth or maybe where they're down one in the ninth inning. Maybe the Brewers goal and and our goal as fans, although we just watch and hope and, and keep our fingers crossed, we have no control over it. Our hope should be as fans that every once in a while, they're just able to steal a game like that. Just every once in a while, like Craig Council said, me, if you were able to win five of those throughout the summer, you're doing good. Just every once in a while, you're able to steal one of those games that you had no business winning, which last night, I think I think that was exactly that when the Brewers beat the Twins 5-4. to four. They had no business winning that game. But Arnold Perez able to, to get on base, and Arcia just got lucky, got a hold of one. He had a great night hitting the ball, and they were able to jump ahead and, and win the game at the buzzer right before the finish line, right? They were able to steal that game that they had no business winning. You're not going to win many games when trailing after the seventh inning. But as fans, and and we can say, man, if we can just steal one here and there. Because at the end of the year, at the end of all these 162 games, and and two seasons ago told us everything we need to know, sometimes it comes down to one game. Sometimes it comes down to those two, those one games. And you look back and you're like, man, you'd like to have that game. Man, you wish that would have gone differently back in July. Remember that game the Brewers blew. or, Or the one in May where they were up four runs in the eighth and they couldn't get it done. Last night's game, those are the kind of games that that are going to come back to be helpful at the end of the year. When you're able to steal it on the road, down after the seventh inning, which up until last night, they were 1-21, like the reporter said, against a great bullpen, against a great team who's hot, 20 games over 500 on the road, you feel like you're able to steal one. And I think that's, that's a great way to look at it. Steal this game, tuck it away, because games like this every once in a while are, really come back to, to boost your record and to boost your standings at the end of the year. I'm in a great mood. I'm having fun today, but it was a miserably awful, terribly frustrating weekend in Wisconsin sports. Okay, Bucks lost uh, that that terrible accident with Howard Moore and his family. The Housers didn't choose Wisconsin, Michigan State, Virginia instead, and Bart Starr passed away. I want to talk a little bit about Starr coming up next. I never got to watch him play. I've not even seen that much tape. I mean, it was that long ago. I want to t- I want to share a story I have, not about me meeting Bart Starr. Uh. uh but but a, a close family member of mine who who did get to watch Bard Star play and and was alive during that time and, and my interactions and, and my stories that we shared about that. I also want to hear from Bard Star because it was a soundbite I found that was really really awesome. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Bard Star as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. I We have all the reason to be frustrated, all the reason to be sad today. I'm trying to be positive and happy talking about the Bucks being eliminated, talking about the, the tragic passing of Bart Starr. And, and it's interesting. I'm If you are not familiar with me, I'm only 21 years old. I'm, I'm a student at UWL. I obviously have no experience watching the, heck, most of the, the Brett Favre era uh, let alone the Bart Starr era. So I have been learning a, a lot over the last couple of days about stories people have about Bart Starr 
interactions, uh, seeing videos, seeing highlights. So I'm learning, like I'm sure a lot of you are as well, let's be real, uh, the the people who were at games uh, and who were around games in, in the era of Bart Starr are probably uh, few and far between. I, I saw a soundbite today. This was from an interview from Green Bay's ABC affiliate, WBA, about how Bart Starr, this is from the 90s, about how Bart Starr would like to be remembered. Now, this is about a minute long. It is absolutely worth our time. I, I think this is so cool. The number one thing that's jumped out to me about Bart Starr is how good of a communicator he is, how well-spoken he is, and how he comes across as, as a lot more than a football player, but almost like an ambassador for this Green Bay franchise. So this is him explaining how he would like to be remembered. I'd like to answer the question two ways. Uh, with respect to them remembering me, I'd like for them to remember us, my wife and me, because of what I said earlier. Uh, we were able to take a great deal from this football team and the community in the state of Wisconsin. We tried to give some of it back. There's no way you could give it all back. It would be impossible. But we tried to give some of that back in the way that we uh, ordered our lives, uh, the, the, the types of professionals that we attempted to become, uh, the standards that we set, the philosophies that we stood for. And hopefully we've left that. Plus we believe that we have left a very sound football foundation. There's no doubt in our minds that we've left that. And if my role somewhere along the line, uh, as God chose it to be, was to be an interim uh, worker that would leave something better for someone else, as disappointed as I am with that, so be it. That's, that perhaps was my role. Well, I don't think we like those, but sometimes we have to accept them. But I also like for them to think about how I would, would remember them. And that is the most fiercely loyal people that I have ever been associated with. Uh, I will never forget the, the type of fan that a Green Bay Packer fan is. Uh, Joe, I can't describe them in a few words. Uh, both male and female are extraordinary. I've received letters, and Cherry has, from ladies who not, not only wrote beautiful letters, but expressed themselves about how they felt about the Packer organization and us in ways that I couldn't describe. So I would like for them to know that I and my wife will always cherish our memories here of those fans. Incredibly well-spoken. He sounds like a politician. Bart Starr. Talking about how he wants to be remembered. Now, I obviously never got to see Bart Starr play. I've seen videos, but I, I, I was, he was never alive during that time. Now, now I don't have a Bart Starr story. We've heard a lot of those. I met him in a, in a pub with my parents one time, and he gave me this autographed football, and he remembered my name five years later. Like, you hear so many of those stories. I don't have a Bart Starr story. Directly relating to Bart Starr. I, I do have one story, and, and that was with my grandpa uh, probably, oh man, six or seven years ago now. And he, and he has since passed away. My grandpa uh, was was a very gruff man, uh, probably intimidating for a small child, not very fuzzy, uh, not very warm, and, and, and pretty brief. He didn't have super long conversations. He didn't, he didn't share stories. You didn't hear him get excited about most things. Uh, and I remember in, in, in junior high and middle school, I had to do a report. I had to interview a family member about an experience in their life, right? And one of the few things that I knew intimately about my grandpa was that he was a diehard Packer fan, that they used to have season tickets, and he was at every game, including the Ice Bowl, right? And I'm like, man, that could be a, a cool report. So I, I go sit down next to my grandpa. I sat on the floor. Uh, to, to give you an idea, I sat on the floor with my notebook and with my pencil and I asked him questions, and it was one of the few times where, I don't want to say he opened up, that's incredibly corny, but he talked at length, and you saw him get excited. 
and you saw his demeanor change about talking about these experiences and talking about Vince Lombardi and talking about Bart Starr and the 1960s Packers. And that conversation, that school assignment that was focused on a family member, uh, did two things that allowed me to hear about Bart Starr and, and Vince Lombardi and the Packer franchise, that, that which I'm a fan to, but never got to experience in that time and in that shape and form and in that era. But it allowed me to, to connect with a, with my grandpa and with a family member who I who I often didn't get a chance to talk to at length, who I didn't interact with a ton just because his personality wasn't about that. But one of the few things that he got excited about was his sports teams and were the Green Bay Packers. And like most human beings, we always look back on previous eras being better than what we have now. I will look back at Aaron Rodgers and be more complimentary, I'm sure, and tell my kids that Aaron Rodgers was much better than whoever is going to be quarterbacking the Packers in 20 years and 25 years, whatever. And and hearing my grandpa talk back about the 1960s when he went with his friends to all of those games and they sat in sleeping bags in the ice bowl to avoid freezing and, and avoid getting frostbite and to hear all those details about the way Vince Lombardi talked to his players and, and communicated with fans and everybody who was a part of the Packers experience and the way Bart Starr was, was a leader and, and, and watching him make plays and, and, and talking about that whole era, that different brand of Packers football that's so far removed from my life and from the 20th century is, it was, was pretty cool. And I know my grandpa, I, I don't know how long after the Ice Bowl this was, bought a, a replica of Lambeau Field and, and what it looked like on the day of the Ice Bowl. And now that has been passed down to me. My grandma passed it down to me because she remembers this day because she remembers things like that. Of where we shared that memory, talking about the Ice Bowl, talking about Star and Lombardi and, and what it was like back in the 60s. And that is now uh, in my bedroom with the little certificate propped right up on the on the little stadium light saying the Ice Bowl. With all the details, with the score, with, with the attendance, everything to go along with it that my grandpa bought, knowing that I remember this day, I want something to mark this day, so I have this this replica, this model, uh, which is now in my bedroom where I get to see it every day. So I don't have a Bart Star story. I never met him in a restaurant, in a supper club with my parents. I was never ma- mailed a letter from Bart Star, and, and I know we've seen so much of that kind of thing the last couple of days. That's my Bart Star story. And hopefully, hopefully, in 20, 30 years, I can tell stories like that to my grandkids, my children, or whoever is around to listen at the time about Brett Favre and about Aaron Rodgers and about the era that we currently live in. We always talk about the old eras like they're so much better, like they're great, like like we remember them better. And that's human nature. And I hope that I get to share the experiences we're having right now of Matt LaFleur, of Mike McCarthy, of Aaron Rodgers, as much as we complain and whine about it. I hope I get to make memories like I made with my grandpa, with my grandchildren in the future, hopefully not too far away. So that's my Bart Starr story. I wasn't alive to watch him, like I'm sure some of our listeners were, but that's what I can offer uh, in remembrance of, of a, a great football player and by all everything I see and read, an even better man. We'll be back tomorrow. Brewers at 710 first pitch tonight on WKTY. We'll talk about Brewers Twins coming up tomorrow on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.